Cape Talk. Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, John. Uh, we're talking about a very difficult South African subject, xenophobia, up first. It strikes me more and more, John, that when we look at these incidents of xenophobia, these sudden, what seem to be sudden spikes, we all too often just examine them on their own merits. And we quote the politicians who say, you know, either we must crack down on foreign nationals or we must be very careful about how we speak about foreign nationals. And we put all of it on foreign nationals when actually there's every indication that we should look at them more like, and perhaps this sounds crass, but more like the proverbial canary in the coal mine. By which I mean the worst and most brutal upsurge of xenophobic violence since apartheid was in 2008. Those were those horrific attacks. Global economic crisis. That's right. That was the year when the global economic crisis struck. South Africa lost close to a million jobs in 2009, and it was the first time recession had properly hit South Africa in 17 in 17 years. So the question is, when these things happen, shouldn't we be looking around and saying, well, what else is going on in the social fabric, in the economic fabric, rather than discussing, you know, should we be clamping down on border controls and should we be, you know, assessing our visa regimes, etc. And it seems to me that actually there's every reason why now would be a time when locals would lash out against foreigners. And we know the reasons for this, John. It's fear. It's fear that foreigners are taking your jobs, your women, your houses. They're scarce, scarce resources. And at the moment, they really are scarce resources. We know this, right? We know that unemployment by some measures, by the extended measure, expanded measure is up to 38.4%. You know, Parliament is having an urgent debate on that. We know that the RAND is the weakest emerging market currency in the world at the moment, 14 billion got wiped off the JSC in one day this week. You know, there's a lot of very depressing things happening. Yeah, two billion dollar, two billion rands worth of bonds are being sold by foreign investors every single day for the last fortnight, and 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 on it goes. And I fear that you know we in the media and uh, us in the public at white, perhaps we get so bogged down in these small political skirmishes, you know, public protector Cyril's email, the rest of it, that we sometimes fail to see the wood for the trees. And at the moment, honestly, John. I don't like to depress anyone. I mean, I, I don't. I don't like to depress myself. But I think things at the moment are feeling, are feeling bad. They're feeling a bit. I've heard this from a lot of people too. That the, the last time there was this kind of atmosphere was perhaps in the early nineties. That there's something going on, and I think as both politicians and the public and the media, it behooves us all to say, what do these xenophobic attacks suggest? Not. What's wrong with foreigners, you know? I also just wanted to read you something, which was a, a tweet from the U.S. But, um, yeah, okay, read it first. Can I, yeah, can I read yeah, it? Yeah. Because I wanted to make the point that there's a kind of disarray happening globally at the moment. This is not just South Africa. This is from Richard Haas, who's an American diplomat. And he tweeted this weekend, U.S.-China trade war, hottest July ever. Hong Kong's on the edge. The odds of a U.S.-Iran and Turkish Kurdish conflict are mounting. There's a new India-Pakistan crisis. Japan-South Korea diplomatic confrontation. Looming Brexit. The word disarray is too restrained to capture the world's deterioration. I mean, that is some some quite stunning stuff from a top diplomat in the world. How do you reframe the discussion around what's been happening in the Johannesburg CBD and in Soweto recently and the looting and the attacking of foreign-owned shops and, and so on? How do you reframe that conversation without that conversation serving as, a, as an exculpation? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, you know, 
shame. It's really, really, really tough for them. So this act of lawlessness, this act of hostility towards somebody who has more than they have and that person is foreign, it's, you know, it's it's understandable. That's that. And and to achieve the reframing of the conversation, and I agree with you absolutely that that needs to happen. It's a tightrope. It absolutely yeah. is. I think that one thing that should happen is that in last week we saw this flurry of very violently worded statements coming out of groups like parliament, parliamentary committees and so forth, saying that, you know, foreign nationals are intent on destabilizing South Africa, banana republic, terms like that. And that is equally obviously unhelpful. So the demonizing of foreign nationals surely has to stop at the same time. But you can also see why South African politicians might leap at this, might leap at the idea that foreign nationals are destabilizing South Africa as an excuse for failing to do what we're asking. Because them then, yeah, we're the focusing on what they're not doing to stabilize South Africa and That's the way right. the last nine years of Jacob Zuma rule and the continuing undermining of Saul Ramaphosa's attempts to, to reverse some of that damage, that's the destabilizing thing, not the presence of the foreigners. That's right. I don't know how we have that conversation, but, I mean, as a journalist myself, I'm certainly going to do what I can to kind of try and expand our vision and say, well, let's look at what's really going on more broadly here and stop getting so bogged down in these, in these little, you know, pressure points in our body politic. Well, let's go to one of those little pressure points then. Yes, the, a favourite one of mine. Yeah. The basic education spokesperson, Elijah Mklangu, Colin was talking about this yesterday when he was looking at what was happening on Twitter, and he was in trouble for having tweeted suggestive photos of women reading as a way to, quote, make reading sexy, unquote. I, I, I still haven't found the energy or the impetus to look at the photographs. Let so. me describe them to you in gory okay. detail. The first one features a woman who appears to be naked lounging on a couch um, on her stomach and the text tweeted by Elijah McClungo from the Department of Basic Education reads, let's make reading sexy. Do it. Just do it as a habit. You can do it every day. It feels good when you get into it. Now, most intriguing for me about this picture, John, apart from the obvious love or absurdity of somebody sprawling naked to read, which is not something I think that happens a lot. You don't is, read naked? I don't read naked. Perhaps in the heat of summer as a necessity, you, but not... You don't, you don't follow the Naked Reviewer then? I don't follow the Naked Reviewer, no. And neither do I go to Naked Girls Reading, which is a wonderful oh, okay. event that happens in Cape Town. There, there is a, a most unattractive man who reviews books while naked. Bully for him, you know? That's great. <laughs> the most curious part of this, perhaps, is the fact that the picture you chose of the girl naked, she was reading a book called... The ISIS Papers, The Keys to the Colors. Now, because I am actually somebody who reads, I was fascinated. What is this book? And I went and looked it up. It is a collection of essays published in 2004 examining white supremacy. Right? So this is what she has chosen to lounge naked on her chaise longue and have a, have a little read. The second picture fe- featured a girl with glistening breasts. I mean, she clearly oiled glistening herself. Breasts oiled herself up before having a little read. She's reading a book, also technically cheating because she has an iPad also open just in front of her, which is faster. I mean, we've all done that. Yeah, having a read, but actually you're on Facebook. And the the text there was, reading for leisure, said Elijah, is also therapeutic. It relaxes the mind, body, and soul. I think the real issue here is, does Elijah read? Because if he does, I, those are not descriptions I associate with reading at all, actually. I mean, unless you are literally reading a self-help book or the notebook or something, is reading therapeutic? I mean, certainly not 
invariably. It definitely depends what you're reading. You could be, if you're reading the ISIS papers, which is a collection of essays examining white supremacy, it's presumably not therapeutic at all. You're probably getting enraged lounging there naked, wondering how you can plot your revenge. <coughs> anyway, a lot of people were very angry about this, John, very. I read a press release from a Christian group today suggesting that Elijah Mahlanga was grooming teenage boys by doing this. This is a part of a pedophiliac conspiracy, in fact. Um, and there's also been calls for him to have drastic action taken against him for the sexist, sexist endeavor. I will say, obviously it is sexist. It's very, it's absurd. It's objectifying to tweet pictures of naked women and not naked men. And I think that is the key. If he had also tweeted pictures of very attracted half, half naked men oiled up reading. With glistening pecs. With glistening pecs. I think people, well, I certainly would have had less problem with it. I didn't have that much of a problem with it because it made me laugh I mean, I clutched my belly when I read these tweets because I found them so ludicrous. But also, I think, John, in Elijah McClungu's defense, should we not be giving him some props for his misguided attempt to make reading seem attractive to a teenage audience, which is what he was aiming at. Okay, we'll do that then. Um, Somebody I don't know, but somebody who um, somebody I know knows, has recently been diagnosed with with breast cancer and it's something terrible that happens to a lot of women and to a few men and she's is a writer and so she has decided to to write about the experience Mm -hmm. deal with the trauma that she's going to have to go through as she confronts the cancer by writing and her second post was um around the cat which normally is is kind of disdainful of her presence yes and since the diagnosis the cat has made a point of sitting on her and purring loudly mm-hmm. and getting close to the site of infection and purring loudly in that site. And you yes. can't just write that off as fanciful nonsense. You can't. I can't speak for the cat. And there is a sense that I think pet owners will agree that sometimes pets seem to know when somebody is sick. And perhaps that's fanciful, but I've experienced it myself. But I was thinking that about animals and pets this week because – you know, in the condition of the world that we've discussed, I find myself increasingly unable to watch anything that isn't a new BBC program, or I think it's ITV called Serengeti, which is a year in the Serengeti, but dramatized as if it were a soapy, using real footage, but following these animals. And somehow it's the only thing that makes me feel better about the world. And I'm so happy to find there's science behind this, John, that people who watch even cat videos experience greater energy, more positivity about the world before, after rather than before. There are fewer negative emotions such as anxiety, annoyance, and sadness. That paired with a study just this week finding that petting an animal can, for as little as 10 minutes, can reduce your stress levels. I can only suggest, John, we do away with the NHI and just flood the country with, with pet cats. videos. Oh, with pet videos. It doesn't have cats. to be cats. It can be anything. We okay. just all need to be watching cute animals all the time. That's all I can prescribe. Have, have you noticed that while you were talking to me, I kept glancing down to my left because there is an iPad on the floor, and which is a, got a constant scroll of, of cat videos. That explains your constantly cheery disposition, John. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I have a constantly cheery disposition. Thank you very much, Rebecca Davis. Back with another Plan B next week.